how, how are we going to start this? <laughs> <laughs> the oh, eternal question. The eternal question. Hi, Alan. Hi, Aaron. How are you? I am here. How are you? <laughs> Physically present in the space. Good. I, we were talking before the episode started and um, I did the thing that a lot of us do where I was like, I'm good. And then about three seconds later, I told about eight stories that were distinctly not good. <laughs> so I had just been sitting in all these things. But I'm very excited to be here today because we yeah. have a friend who is <gasps> sitting there silently <laughs> as we attempt oh, an friend. intro friend on the podcast today. And we're super excited about it. Yes. Welcome, friend, to this episode of The Thick List. <laughs> do you want to try that again uh no great we're living with <laughs> i it. feel that that was perfect it was you are perfect i i agree perfect everyone welcome our friend ada Woo! Hello. ada who is a professional fan artist and all-around wonderful person that i've known we just discovered for about a decade <laughs> yeah we're old now it's frightening <laughs> deeply frightening um Accurate. a little upsetting and uh we were like we met like five years ago in 2013 oh oh yikes <laughs> i keep picking up fanfics that are like last updated in 2012 and i'm like that wasn't that long ago right and no it was yeah. yeah you're like that was fully 11 years ago 12 years yeah, ago that's, that's abandoned like yeah bummer anyway <laughs> welcome to the fic list data hi Hi. So um, obviously the listeners know who we are, but aside from that sort of in brief introduction, who are you? What do you do? What's your what's your little intro into the world? Hello. So here's my intro into the world. I wear a lot of hats, but um, you can find me and my art under a.loveunlaced. I used to be Ada Lovelaced. I make fan art and it's pretty great. I uh, have been a marriage and family therapist. I'm now currently a sex coach and transitioning into professional fan art because it kind of took off during the pandemic. And so I'm here talking about fandom. It's so good. I'm so excited to talk about what you do. A, because I think it's so interesting that you come from a mental health background. And we've talked a lot sort of privately about how mental health and fandom interact. And I'm so interested to hear sort of your like work in that arena. But then also watching you go from a person I know who does fan art to a person I know who does professional fan art is an absolutely wild transition to watch. And I'm so interested to learn more about that journey and like how you navigate it and what you do differently now that you're like pro or if anything, stuff mm -hmm. like that. Like, I think it's wild. I also think we should uh, let the audience know that one, your fan art is incredible, but it also is like very kinky and very <laughs> sex positive. And I am so excited to have you on for that purpose. Cause I think we often sort of like self sanitize fandom stuff. Mm -hmm. And like, that's bullshit. Like, we're going to like enjoy it and talk about it. And it's so good. Good. Uh, it's one of my favorite things to talk about. I get to make smut for a living. Yeah. Which is awesome. <laughs> I love that for I you. I had this like really wonderful art education. I got to study in Italy, like these beautiful old Renaissance techniques. And I make porn now and it's great. I could not want more out of it. <laughs> so good. I love that. Ellen, are you familiar with Ada's work at all? Uh, yes. I was looking through the... I'm so sorry. What are your pronouns? Do you oh, I made them. They them. Thank you. I was looking through their Instagram account uh, last night or preparing for this episode. And uh, yeah, Aaron gave me a warning, like, don't open this in a public place, <laughs> which I appreciated. <laughs> it was incredible. But yeah. yeah, so kinky. And I was so interested by the like range of fandoms, of uh, pairings, of like styles, yeah. kinks. It's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. I love a rare pair. Yeah. Um, because I just, mm -hmm. I don't know, when you've been in a fandom for 20 years, you just get bored reading the same pairs over and over. And so, yeah. like, people just spin a wheel at this point and throw characters together. I'm like, yeah, great. I'm going to draw that. <laughs> I love that. That's so fun. And yeah, I, I did. I was like, I sent that text to Alan. I was like, don't open this at work. It's a bad idea. And also, I was like, it's very much in some ways like how Tumblr used to be where like your chances of running across porn on your dash were pretty high and so yeah and I was like I kind of missed that it was it was a thrilling experience for all involved mm -hmm. where you're like I have no idea what's coming next it's been really interesting to watch that change in fandom because Tumblr raised me I grew up in a small town mm -hmm. and so my only access to like queer culture or people that thought like me was Tumblr right and so you see it in my speech patterns, you see it in what I think is normative. And so watching uh, fandom kind of go through another wave of a little bit more of that puritanical, like we're going to self-censor away from the smut, we want to hide all of it. 
and then to be like, no, that's not how I want to interact with smut. Like I want it tagged so it doesn't surprise or hurt anybody, but that it doesn't have to exist in like some siloed corner that we don't talk about. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think that speaks to a little bit of what I wanted to talk to you about, about your journey into and through fandom like so did you start on tumblr or were you one of sort of the many of us who started elsewhere and maybe found tumblr along the way like how did you get into fan art and fandom just sort of in general man okay so i found tumblr at like 12 Mm -hmm. so it's hard to (laughs) separate out like who i am as a person yeah uh, that's a formative age (laughs) it really is uh but my parents are huge nerds like my parents went to star trek conventions nice so i was a little bit born into it um and so like we've done cosplays as a family which is really goofy and adorable i love that that is so fun what was the do you remember any of them like what characters were you um i think the last comic-con we went to my parents did like steampunk my brother was wesley crusher and i was scarlet witch nice that is so it was really fun but I got out of fandom kind of after college, stopped reading fanfic, as you do. Uh, and then I met a girl and I had a crush on a girl. And that's how I started making fan art. I, yes. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> like, if you're comfortable, say more. Because I would love to <laughs> understand what that journey was like. So, was, I mean, go ahead. Why does anyone get into anything? Like, there was a beautiful woman involved. <laughs> so valid. No more oh, questions man. need be So answered. many avenues I've pursued because of a beautiful woman. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. gay man. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, that makes sense. It's true. Um, so after college, you sort of went on a different path. And I think that was when you were more working in mental health. Is that right? Yeah. Um, so my original degree was psych and neuroscience. I did cochlear implant research. I worked as a social worker for a while um, and then did marriage and family therapy. And kind of throughout all of that, still watched things, but didn't like engage with internet fandom as much. Mm. And then wrote part of my marriage and family thesis on the use of transformative fiction in therapy. Oh, wow. So cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So in therapy, there's this thing called narrative therapy. It's my favorite school of therapy. And it is that uh, we are constantly telling ourselves stories. We see the world and our relationship through stories. And so your job as a therapist is kind of to go in as an editor and be like, okay, well, does that story actually make sense? Or is that a product of like some really bad assumptions? Things that you assumed as a child that just aren't true because children are incredible storytellers. They make up stories about everything. They're just not very good at it. So they're (laughs) all over the place. Drag them. (laughs) Drag (laughs) them. I mean, yeah, you're not wrong. I didn't make up great stories when I was 13. (laughs) Also, like, um, you know, a really easy one is that, like, I'd get someone to be like, yeah, I caused my parents' divorce. Mm. The parents divorced when the kid was 10. A 10-year-old doesn't have that much power. Right. 10-year-old can't cause a divorce. And so, but the story that that adult now holds on to was, I destroy relationships. And it's like, well, okay, let's take that apart. Mm -hmm. And one of the best ways to do that, because I work with a lot of nerdy folks and a lot of queer folks, like... Those are the, the lovely people that find me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, can we do it through transformative literature? Is there something that you need to say to yourself that you can't say to yourself, but a character could? Mm. Can oh, we some self-insert fan fiction of like your Gandalf figure? Mm-hmm. Or um, Hades was a big one. So like Hades will give mm-hmm. boons, but only if you have earned them in some way. And so like getting someone to recount all of the ways that they deserve good things Mm -hmm. so that Hades can give them a boon and what that boon would be. Like that is the work of transformative fiction in a therapeutic context. And it's really cool. That is so fucking cool. (laughs) That is amazing. I knew that you used transformative works in mental health work, like on, on sort of a surface level, but I had no idea that that was how it operated. And that is so incredibly fascinating and makes so much sense as you're telling me about it that I was like, yeah, I mean, we do process things through storytelling as just like humans. Yeah, all the time. And humans of, love stories. Yeah. And like, of course, it makes sense to then lean on something familiar to sort of set the scene, as it were. Um, I think a lot of fanfic writers do that without a therapist telling them to do that. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I was like, have I processed some shit through writing a fanfic before? Yes. Yes, I have. <laughs> was it then put on this uh, podcast for dissection? Yes, it was. Anyway. <laughs> that yeah, is so the only difference is like you're doing it with a therapist there. Like, right. And it's like right. more sort of like, not intentional, but like, it's like, there's, there's a, it's I a guess, little more direct. Yeah. Like a directness to it. That is awesome. And um, it allows you to come at really difficult concepts in a little bit of a sideways mm-hmm. way. 
because you can talk about it like through these characters and kind of use them as these Barbie dolls that you're manipulating. You're still doing all the work, but you don't have that freeze response when you have to imagine yourself in the situation. Mm, that makes so much and sense. And because we imagine our characters as a lot more well-resourced. They literally have superpowers. Mm-hmm. Right. Or can fire guns or like have all of these different tools because they tend to be larger than my figures um, than we imagine ourselves being resourced. And so it's you're just doing it all through metaphor. So in in the work that you've done sort of in mental health, was that sort of part, like at what point were you like, oh, I'm, I want to get back into fandom myself? Like when did that sort of transition back into I want to be part of this directly rather than sort of like using it in this process? Or, or did those things sort of happen simultaneously? A bit simultaneously. Um, so I met a girl on 2019. <laughs> yes. Yes. And just got a huge question. We're actually really good friends now um, in that very queer way that yep. you all know each other, yep. despite living in a major city. Mm-hmm. And she was like, okay, so I have this whole list of transformative Harry Potter fan fictions because mm-hmm. all of this was going around at the same time that you know JKR was being horrendous and it was coming to light that she was horrendous. Mm-hmm. And um, I was really struggling with this relationship with a, a work that was so meaningful to my childhood. And this woman was like, okay, look, I have all these fan fictions. You should read them. And I hadn't read fanfic in so long. And the fanfic I read when I was 12 was like creepy Severus Hermione, like back alleys of Tumblr fanfic. And so I read the oh, good classic. stuff. Yeah. I mean, we've all been there to be clear. Yeah. Like there's no oh, judgment yeah. in this space. Cause we've all been there with our various. It's a rite of passage. Yeah. 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 It really is. Yeah. Um, and she's like, okay, so no, I have got, got the good stuff for you. And so I started reading and then the pandemic hit mm-hmm. and I was like, well, crap, I need a hobby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was about what all of us did. Yeah. Truth. Yeah. Yeah. We were like, uh, oh, so we can record the, the podcast still. Good. We have something to do. <laughs> yeah. One of the many that was like, all right, well, got to do something with my time. And my partner was really supportive about uh, investing the money to get an iPad. I had mm-hmm. done traditional art for a long time mm-hmm. um, and had stopped making traditional art for almost 10 years. Mm. Wow. Uh, which was really sad because I kept putting all this pressure on myself that if I was going to make art, it had to be meaningful. It had to be really good. It had to be at this really high bar. And for fan art, it didn't have to be because I was like, well, this is stupid anyway. I'm just making my Barbies kiss. Like I don't have to. (laughs) Yeah. And it opened up so much creative possibility. Yeah. And it let me like actually be free with it and make work that I really cared about and be political and make interesting things that I liked. Mm -hmm. And now I get to do it all the time. I love that. Alan, did you have a question you wanted to ask? Um, I do. Well, but first I wanted to say, I'm sitting in like, everything you said is resonating so hard for me with like the expectation of wanting to do something artistic, but being afraid to like, that it's not going to be good enough. And it's so inspiring to hear about how you t- uh, turn that into what it is today. So kudos to you and thank you for sharing your journey. Um, thank you. And I am curious, what was the fanfic that w- that the friend sent you? <laughs> was it good? <laughs> he's, he's yes, it was. Oh, my God. Um, it's called Tales from a Special Branch. Ooh. It is a Harry Potter fan fiction that is like 10 years after the war and examines police rep- brutality, systemic oppression, and what we will do in the name of national security post 9-11. Oh, wow. Incredible. Yeah, it's whew, dense. Man, it's great. I love fandom so much because <laughs> like we contain multitudes. We're all like, let's, yeah, let's make characters kissy kiss and also smutty smut. But then also like, let's really tackle like the deepest, <laughs> yeah. deepest, like most difficult questions of society, but also mm-hmm. while kissy kissing. Like, I love that for us. I yes. think it's like very sincerely. I think that is like one of the best parts about fandom and existing oh, yeah. like transformative works is that like we run the gamut and also people like it, it, it can be all contained in one thing. Agreed. That fanfic draws you in with like an 8,000 word one shot that is just really, really hot smut. And then it's like, okay, but now we're going to talk about uh, FBI profiling for a million words. <laughs> yes. That's um, the way it should be. All right. Writing down the title <laughs> to go look at. Um, I think one thing that we would like, we would be remiss if we didn't address it at some point in the conversation is, is what you were talking about a little bit earlier about JK Rowling and her Ooh. politics and how that intersects with fandom and how fandom sort of deals with the fallout of learning about her. I think a lot of us grew up not realizing that this was her political perspective, that she's a turf, that she is really far more conservative than any of us realized. Mm-hmm. How do you, as somebody who continues to engage with Harry Potter, both as a fan and in your professional work, sort of how do you navigate and sort of like, how do you 
how do you how do you sort of like deal with that like I know you've probably yeah. been asked this question a thousand times but <laughs> it is interesting <laughs> there's, for, a, there's a lot of nuances yeah. to it that we can discuss yeah. um so for me Harry Potter was ubiquitous growing up mm-hmm. like I was very much the generation that went to the midnight release parties like every movie we dressed up it was a really big deal Um, And so it was really hard for me to separate out some of my more positive childhood memories from this property. And for me, problematic things are always going to exist. And I'm not a fan of like, we take all the problematic things and we heat them into a volcano. It's if you were going to engage with something, I want you to engage with it in a way that is critical, in a way where you get to be critical and analytical of what you're reading and still love it simultaneously Mm -hmm. while recognizing the holes. And then if you are so inclined doing something to patch or fix those holes. Mm -hmm. Mm, So like the the books aren't good. Right. The books are full (laughs) of like every prejudice imaginable. The Mm -hmm. plot has a ton of holes in it. Yeah. Um, And so I fell really hard into like things like which please that really take those apart Mm -hmm. and, you know, spend time critically breaking them down um, because we are constantly taking in bits of culture. Mm-hmm. We need to be aware of and willing to dissect those bits of culture. Yeah. And Harry Potter was just a really good avenue for me to do that. That makes total sense. And I think it falls really in line. Like it's been a while since we've had any discussion about Harry Potter really on our on our podcast because I don't think we've had Harry Potter fan fiction to discuss in maybe a season or two. But we sort of landed in the in the same boat where we were mm-hmm. like, we come at this with a certain amount of nostalgia and like looking back at things with an uncritical nostalgia rosy view is not helpful to anybody but Mm -hmm. also just being like we're never ever going to talk about this again is also not particularly helpful because there are still people engaging with the fandom and it still exists in the cultural zeitgeist like and being able to be critical about it and have nuanced conversations about it is important to actually picking out like what is going on there and i absolutely understand the desire to well, if we stop engaging with it, it'll lose popularity and it'll eventually fade away. Mm-hmm. And while that is true for most things, Harry Potter is just that weird 0.1% that re- that reached near 100% cultural saturation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Your great grandma knows what Harry Potter is and it's not going to go away. Right. And they're not going to so, like destroy the park tomorrow either. Like, right. yeah. <laughs> like as, um, as much as I understand the like the frustration with that like it will continue to exist as you're saying and i think too i want to draw a little bit of a line between engaging with harry potter the property and engaging with harry potter the fandom yes mm-hmm. um, because the fandom has gone through such an interesting transformation over the past 20 plus years mm-hmm. so the art that i'm making some of it if you're not in the fandom is not actually recognizable as harry potter art mm-hmm. oh. because like harry is desi hermione is black like mm-hmm. jk rowling wrote tropes and archetypes she didn't write fully fleshed out characters and so it's really easy to take them and spin them into something that is near original that makes total sense it also sort of drives me into my sort of like next sort of set of questions of like your art and like what inspires you what kind of art do you love making like speak a little bit to your artistic your vibe because it's awesome like I love it and I want to hear more about like what inspires you to make art like why like what pairings and ships inspire you all that kind of fun like artsy stuff yeah so I am happiest when I'm making art that is a gift to somebody Mm. that was one of the things I really love about fandom especially fandom during the pandemic like I remember waking up on my birthday during the pandemic and there was a collection of tailor-made smut just for me from a bunch of friends and doing birthday collections was like a big thing to do. And so I made tons of pieces for that. Um, Or love fest happens every February and everybody puts out like a wish list of things that they want and then people will take them and write little one shots or make some fan art or a man up. I love that. I love that. It's so good. I I love the fandom culture of like, it's your birthday. Here's this hardcore porn that I wrote for you. <laughs> it's so How many good. Places you get to like oh, make so, porn for people. It's so good, and I love that. And you do commission works, right? Like that is sort of the distinction here when we're talking about pro. Like you you do commission yeah. work, right? So I have the stuff that I make because I particularly love to fanfic, or I'm making it as a gift for somebody, or I just want to see two characters make out with each other, and it doesn't exist yet. So I'm like, eh. I'm going to do that. So valid. Um, Or people were like, will give me real human money to make their Barbies kiss. And it's awesome. It's so nice. 
So is that your full-time thing now? Like, is that what you do for work or is it sort of in concert with other things? So it's been in concert for, with other things for a long time, but as of December, it is my full-time deal. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah. I will be opening up spots for sex coaching clients again come January because I kind of always want to do both. Mm-hmm. But art's really my main deal right now. Uh, most of that comes through Patreon, which is like, if you want to see the smutty smuts, I got you. <laughs> yes. uh, I make three to four smutty smuts a month of um, characters that my patrons vote on. Ooh. And some of that's Harry Potter, some of it's other fandom, some of it's original stuff. Um, I've got one that seems to be pretty popular that is a demon that consequently kind of looks like my Harry because I was trying to draw a demon and it accidentally looked like Harry. <laughs> and so I slammed it with Hermione and it's like, it's Harry Potter if you squint, but otherwise it's just like sweet demon porn. Who doesn't love sweet demon porn? On board, like genuinely. <laughs> I was like, yeah. yes, that sounds great. Um, so I'll take commissions. I'll take, uh, do lots of cool Patreon stuff. And then I've also gotten into the monster fucker community. So I do like book covers, uh, oh. Patreon exclusives for other book series if you're on tiktok you've maybe heard of sex wizards i don't think i have i have not either it's oh it's so good alethea the author sat down with the dnd manual and made um each school of magic into a different kink <gasps> so you like preload all of your spells sorcerer style and uh you create the spells via different kinks so like if you need an illusion spell you have to like blindfold and tie up your partner that's amazing. Yeah, it's pretty great. That is great. What's the name of it again? So I can look it up after this. Uh, it's, it's called Sex Wizards. It is what it says on the tin. <laughs> Sex Wizards. I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Sex Wizards. Okay, I got to remember that. <laughs> yeah. Little Twink goes to magic school and discovers that as, he is a whole. As is right and proper. Uh, I love that. So, I mean, it, it sort of goes without saying that a lot of your art is very, like, sex positive. It's kink positive. How, how did that sort of... Was that something that sort of bled over? And feel free to disregard this question if you're like, nope, I'm not going to answer that. Did did that cross over from experiences you had in your life? Or is that something that you sort of found through fandom and just sort of expounded mm-hmm. upon over time? Like, I'm always interested in the intersection between fandom kink and sort of experiential kink, I guess. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Yeah. Not, not that those are totally separate entities, but. That's a great question. So I've always been hella kinky, basically from the time I was like, you know, first discovering these things. Mm -hmm. And then I um, was a sex therapist. Like most of my work in marriage and family was around sex and trauma. And so that absolutely informs the kind of art that I make. And I wasn't finding stuff that worked for me because I wasn't finding things with bodies that looked like mine or realistic bodies with stretch marks. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of the kink content I was finding was these like really willowy thin white women being strung up in like really beautiful and intricate ways, but just it gets boring. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so I was like, okay, what if I made this a lot gayer and with different bodies? The correct instinct thing. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I feel like it's a very uh, wonderful also fandom instinct to be like, mm, I'm going to make this both gayer and more uh, like me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I love. Oh, absolutely. And I love giving people... Um, like fandom home one of the things I would do with therapy clients is give them fandom homework of like because AO3 has such a robust tagging system and your tags can get so granular it's like all right if you don't know what kinks you want yet here are some fix that are just like character goes to a sex club and tries everything for 300,000 words write down your favorites <laughs> that's so smart that's genius yeah it's so genius. Well, because we've talked about we've read I mean we did a whole episode on BDSM with our friend Caitlin and like it was one of those moments where we all three realize that we have very different definitions of what kink is or what mm-hmm. like what we even would want in a real like what things sort of give us to quote the internet the ick or are just sort of like not our jam and like there's no judgment in that it's just that it's not for us and it was so it was so rooted in sort of like well I read in this thing about how this made this character feel or you know this is yeah this is a, a representation of an experience that I would want and then just like having that conversation about that, like totally was totally interesting to me about how it sort of relates back to like your in real life interests. Yeah, absolutely. I have found um, I'm very easy to convince of anything. <laughs> yes. Great. There are plenty of things where I'm like, yeah, I don't think I would be into that. But if somebody writes it in a particularly hot way or tells me why they're into it, I'm like, okay, I'm down. That's amazing. I'm the opposite. <laughs> I'm very like, I love that for you. <laughs> like, I'm so happy that you're thrilled. Um, but my asexual ass is that's a no go for no. me. 
Yeah, yeah. It allows me to make a bunch of things for kinks that I don't have. Yeah. But as long as somebody can explain to me why it's hot, I'm like, I can do that. I can make that happen. I love that. Are there particular kinks or characters or pairing that you're like, I love, like, this is, this is so, like, my favorite or a thing that you just love doing, like, love, like, drawing or painting? Like, is there one that you're just like, "Mm, I'm not supposed to have favorite children, but. (laughs) Oh, I do have favorite children. I so do. Um, The more unhinged, the better. I think. Yeah. I'm so sick of healthy relationships. <laughs> Say more. Say more. Yeah. I just I just want to cosplay deeply toxic relationships yeah. in mm-hmm. fiction. Yeah. Yeah. I have healthy relationships at home. I don't need to go out for that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think there's such... Okay. I love that that is the perspective that you're bringing to this because I do think there is a movement in fandom to really sanitize things. And, like, there's this sort of, like, well, this this is problematic, so we can't talk about... Like, we can't... He's... Mm-hmm. Have, where it's, like... And it ends up being that, like, you take a character and you either have to justify their behavior through, like, mm-hmm. weird pseudo, like, oh, but he's only doing it because... Or she is only this way because of this thing. Mm-hmm. Or it's, like, you can never like this person or it's indicative that you think that everything they did was good and i really i i really kind of miss the days of fandom when we were just like oh no he's terrible and i love him <laughs> yeah, i miss that yeah um, then, there i will say there are certain fandoms i won't draw because mm. the fandom tends towards the puritanical and i will uh-huh. get more hate comments because of it uh-huh. um so there are things i have on my not i won't draw at list huh. i Can mean we hear some of them um <laughs> Marauders. Oh, yeah. uh, fair. Marauders and Heartstopper tend to be two of the worst. Interesting. Really? I'm. I guess yeah, I'm not so... terribly surprised by Heartstopper in the sense that it yeah. tends to skew pretty, not like mm-hmm. super young, but young in general. Younger. I think young and puritanical in a way that like my work, the things that I'm interested in doing artistically, are just not going to vibe with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And also, I mean, Heartstopper as a source material skews so saccharine yeah it skews pretty saccharine and so to then sort of have people and that's not to say that it doesn't exist but to have sort of like the more like we've had that conversation where like alan prefers me to not send him smut of nick and charlie if we're gonna talk about and i get it like there's there is that sort of squick feeling associated with for people i'm sorry that they are hateful to you about it because that's never justified correct yeah uh i just avoid making certain content and that's fair uh, because i draw so many pairs people will find me because they like you know germany or mm-hmm. harmony those are two of the big ones and then they're like oh my god what is severus doing in here and i'm like it's fetish content yeah <laughs> this is not me promoting student teacher relationships this is not me promoting a 20-year toxic age gap this is a kink that people are reading as fetish content mm-hmm. right and there's a distinction there. absolutely yeah wow we also have fandoms that we won't engage with because <laughs> there are just some that it's like it's not worth the risk poking that bear. what are some of yours supernatural i won't do oh. it yeah i mean it's one of the, and sherlock anymore sherlock we did sherlock once and regretted it um and that's not to say that there aren't lovely fans in those fandoms and i i actually even just like saying it out loud i was like don't come for me but like <laughs> folks are so protective of that source material and so specific about their like their interpretation mm-hmm. is sacrosanct that like if you come at anything with any amount of criticism it's taken as an attack most of the time and mm-hmm. it's a real bummer yeah i'm not about that especially in something like the harry potter fandom like i am here for all of the criticism yeah well it's like you can't you can't have it both ways, in my opinion. Like, if you're going to talk about fandom and try to take it seriously, you can't only talk about the good stuff. Right. You have to Excellent be, and very true. Yeah, you have to be willing to be like, well, this is how this thing falls short. Or, like, this is where I see these real-life biases coming through. Or, like, whatever it is. And, you know, it's, it's not an attack on your personhood for me to be like, this thing that you like is kind of a bummer in some ways. And, like... It can just be a bummer or it can just be problematic. And as long as we are aware of that, mm-hmm. right, we can still engage with it in a way that works for you. Right. Alan, I've been guiding this conversation because Ada and I- Because you're been... so good at it. Well, and I know Ada, so it's very easy <laughs> for me to just fall back into like, hey, I haven't seen you in 10 years. Let's talk about the smut you make. Um, but have, has there been anything that's piqued your interest you want to talk about more? Well, I was curious. We were just talking about these conversations about um, how people hold things dear to them as like fandoms and how they get really protective about it. 
And it made me think about how Ada was talking about at the beginning of like narrative therapy. And I wonder how many folks are probably like maybe engaging in a form of that that is not guided through a therapist. And like, I wonder how much of it is like that response is um, like, that's why they get so protective over it. Like those narratives that they are exploring become so personal. It's not necessarily a question. It just, or maybe I guess my question would be, um, Ada, I don't know how like knowledgeable you are on like statistics or anything, but is narrative therapy like how prevalent is that? Is that something that you can just find like you can go to a therapist and say this is a type of therapy that sounds interesting to me and I would want to engage in? You should be able to uh, because it is on the licensure test. <laughs> so very, very fair. In theory, they studied it in school, depending on the kind of therapist. Um, so I was working in marriage and family therapy. LPCC, it should be listed like on somebody's psychology today profile with like CBT or DBT. Narrative therapy is usually just slipped in there. Gotcha. Um, it's one of like the large official schools of therapy. And even if they might not call it narrative therapy, if you say like, I'm interested in talking about it through the lens of stories or through narrative, most therapists should be with you there. Gotcha. That makes sense. That's good to know. Yeah, I'm in the market for a new therapist, so I'll make a note of that. <laughs> Big fan. Ask them their opinions on narrative therapy. Yeah. Um, or one of my favorite podcasts, because we all need another podcast, is Starship Therapies. Ooh. It's great. Uh, it's a little like Star Trek looking therapy couch. It's adorable. That's uh, By cute. one of, I think, the best narrative therapists potentially ever, certainly in the U.S., uh, Justine Mouston. And go check that out. She's going to talk about like trauma through the lens of The Witcher, and it's great. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Oh, I love that. That makes so much sense. Well, also, like, I think, right? yeah, it, it, again, to circle back to that, like, I think it makes so much sense for that, like, it's so core to humanity to, like, figure out who you are through the mirror of narrative. And it's, mm-hmm. yeah, that is so great. I mean, we've all read somebody's fic and been like, oh, this is your therapy processing fic. I'm here for it. Right. And it's like, oh, now this has become my therapy processing fic. Thank you, friend, for that. For that Absolutely. I just read, I shared a fic with Alan at a more recent episode that was Stranger Things, uh, Steve Comes to Terms with Being Ace. Mm-hmm. And boy, howdy, that. was that fic important to me emotionally. <laughs> yeah, you? yeah, it was the first time I'd ever had a fic like mirror most of my actual lived experience of being Ace. Because a lot of Ace fic on AO3 or just in general, like it's often framed through the lens of someone who's aloe and like ace is being ace is explained to them and like it's kind of like a like a it's after school special kind of way of describing it it's like very sort of Mm -hmm. like surface level but this was steve navigating like the nuances between his romantic interests and his sexual interests and like trying to navigate that on like a day-to-day basis where it changes all the time Mm -hmm. and he just like it really depends on how i'm feeling that day with you and like navigating consent in that situation and going through some dissociative stuff that I've also experienced so it was just really to you know to bring it all home like it was just a very therapeutic thing to read and be like oh I'm not alone in this and I think that can be a super valuable thing in fandom is that yes like you can have this conversation with your therapist but also in fandom you're having this conversation with a community so you end up sort of like learning new things about yourself with others that makes me so happy one of my favorite things about fandom is that we're putting out these really beautiful vulnerable works and we're doing it for free mm-hmm. yeah and in an era of capitalist nonsense that is such an act of resistance if i'm going to write this you know very queer very vulnerable story and it's going to find its audience yeah just the trust of that is beautiful yeah i do love that that does actually raise a question to me is like how do you navigate the capitalism of it all being somebody who now does have money involved in your fandom like what Mm. what kind of conflicts does that create for you does it create any conflicts for you how do you navigate it yeah I think about this all the time Mm -hmm. I hate it I hate (laughs) it so much and I also need to pay my rent yep please can we just get like Starfleet and UBI that is all I want yes um okay so money and fandom I hate the combination mm-hmm. and need to pay my bills. I hate that um, authors can't get paid and really the difference is just like these tiny pieces of legislation and I am not a lawyer. I really don't understand why mm-hmm. I can get, you know, art officially licensed or I can, you know, make 
fan art and get paid for that while authors can't. Mm -hmm. For me, it's, um, I work really hard to keep as much of my stuff free as I can. And I create a really high volume of work. Um, and that's just because like, I happen to be relatively fast at creating fan art. Mm -hmm. And then my Patreon is a pretty new development. Mm -hmm. And that's just for the smutty spots. I'll make soft NSFW. I'll make like nudes without putting it behind a paywall. But the paywall serves the double purpose of it makes sure my work can't be found by minors because that became a problem. Mm -hmm. And uh, lets me pay my bills. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And we do live in an inescapable capitalist hellscape. So everyone sort of has to figure out their way of navigating it, you know? We do. And I am infinitely grateful and truly amazed the people who are uh, willing to do things like sign up for my Patreon Mm -hmm. or commission me to do something. Um, I love getting commissions, especially because they get me drawing things that I wouldn't draw otherwise. Mm -hmm. Because most of the time, you know, it's somebody else's fic or somebody else's idea. And so I'm introduced to a new fandom or a new pairing or a new dynamic for me. And that's always super fun as an artist. And then I do, you know, things on the monster fucker circuit. And that's where the majority of my commissions come from. Mm -hmm. I also have a different price point if you're going to also make money off of it versus fan art. Oh, interesting. Yeah. That's really common. So if I'm making something for like uh, a romance author, who's then going to put it on their Patreon or use it as part of their marketing, um, you know, there's a significant upcharge and that lets me keep, fan art less expensive and so it can be more of a community project that is then subsidized by these professional projects that is so interesting i had not even remotely considered a sort of secondhand market for fan art in that way or not fan art necessarily but like art as like a secondary like somebody paying you to make an art for their thing that they're going to then turn around and sell like i just hadn't that hadn't occurred to me but of course that's what happens right yeah it's really most uh romance authors will have their own Patreon where they do like bonus content or mm-hmm. art that they commissioned or book covers. Like if it's an ethical author who isn't using an AI cover, they're paying that artist. Yeah. I just, I'm, I'm a little, I was like a little <laughs> blown, blown away by that. Cause I just, I was, I, I don't do this. So it just wasn't something that occurred to me, but yeah, that makes total sense. Um, are there things in sort of the art world or like things that you're excited to do and grow into as you continue to do this in your career? Like, is there something that you haven't had a chance to do yet that you want to do or, like what what does growth look like i guess if you're interested in that okay let's manifest some of this um (laughs) somebody grab a crystal please (laughs) so i would really love to do some of these like book boxes special edition like Uh because they're so cool and i have become like such a romance girly Mm -hmm. love that I'm a big audiobook person and so I'll read like 200 audiobooks a year it's a little ridiculous wow that's great I would love love to do one of those crates um mm-hmm. and at the same time I know I have lost business because I also still engage with Harry Potter uh-huh. Interesting. and I am fairly sure I've lost business because I draw Desi Harry and Black Hermione because mm-hmm. I see other artists who are have kind of comparably been doing it for the same amount of time but draw thin white Hermione with Draco Mm. and are way more successful yeah that is that's not cool but yeah I the Dramione ship is is its own thing that I don't feel qualified (laughs) to speak on but I I see that that does make a lot of there's a lot of content that is specifically centered around that ship Mm -hmm. in pop culture land like that tends to be the dominant one that I hear about it's the one that tends to escape uh, the confines of fandom and finds its way into like actual news articles, yeah. which is terrifying in my opinion. Right. Yeah. Um, I saw the news article about Manacled and I was like, I don't want this. No, leave us alone. <laughs> yeah, we should not breach containment. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, Manacled is the one that gets you know talked about a lot. Um, I oh, here's a question that I hadn't thought of to put in our um previous sort of our discussion outline, but I'm interested on in your take on it. How do you feel about fanfic that has made the jump to traditional publishing, like? Do you mean like filing off the serial numbers and publishing it? Yeah, like I think that it is a fascinating trend that we're seeing be talked about. I don't think it's just starting to happen now. I think that's happened forever, but now it's a marketing mm-hmm. tactic. How do you feel about that as like a, a next step in fandom journey? I love it. And when it's done genuinely, I think it's really lovely and beautiful because fandom can be a place to kind of workshop ideas and relationships and um, there's kind of all of this feedback that is happening in the comment section as you're writing something. And I think that being part of a writer's process is 
really gorgeous. It, you know, becomes this community created piece of art or community driven piece of art. Even if you then file off the serial numbers to then publish it, I think that's fantastic. I dislike when traditional publishers are specifically looking to kind of take advantage of fandom communities. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, I've seen things that are like, well, I published this book, but I'm also going to slip in names from a fandom to like get some interest and then only publish a couple chapters. Mm. And here you can buy the rest of it. I am not a fan of that. Yeah, no, that's, that seems scummy to me. Uh, yeah. And I'm not at all really tuned in to the sort of traditional publishing. I read so much and it's all fan fiction. <laughs> we get asked about the sort of published fanfic question all the time. And all I, the time. Yeah, it's like a question that comes our way all the time. But I just like, I don't know. In my thing, I'm like, I don't know. It's a thing that happens. I don't know how I feel about it. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. So I'm always interested in other people who are deeply invested in fandom like what the perspective is on it because i think we all are sort of reckoning with it in real time which Mm -hmm. is fascinating yeah i love it as part of a writer's process yeah um and i think it's really cool to use fandom and a fan fiction as kind of a proving ground for ideas like the fact that the temeraire series started as master and commander fanfic i think is great Mm -hmm. and then the the finished product is so far away from master and commander Mm -hmm. yeah that it, it gets to be its own thing. And I think that's wonderful. Yeah. I'm also a big fan of authors getting paid. Yeah. Yeah. Super big. It goes back to the conversation that we were having about artists versus, or not versus, but artists being able to be paid and writers in general not being able to be paid. Like, is that a way around that in terms of capitalism? But, mm. you know, it starts, I don't know, it just starts to get really... There's, if we could talk about that for like four hours. <laughs> That's right. a dissertation. Okay. <laughs> I hope so. I hope it's somebody's actual dissertation. Um, I think of Gala Placidia, who is Alice Wynn, whose mm-hmm. book just you know got shortlisted and is winning a bunch of awards. And it's a gorgeous, gorgeous novel. Mm-hmm. And you can see the dreary DNA in it because she was primarily a dreary writer. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. And I think that's really loved being able to pick up her book after knowing her fan fiction. And her book is set during World War II very different vibes but you can see the dna and to follow an author for years like that i think is a really lovely kind of parasocial relationship right yeah so true there are certainly fanfic authors in my sort of like history that if i saw that they were publishing a novel i would be first in line to buy it harriet oh, yeah. <laughs> hmg fanfic <laughs> please write a novel so i can buy it from you um so that i think I, I feel like we just had a really wonderful discussion and that we could keep going all day darn long. Um, <laughs> but was there anything, Ada, that you really wanted to like impart to fans, people in fandom about what you do or what you see in fandom that like we didn't already talk about that you're interested in in sort of like either discussing or just being like, hey, love y'all. This is a thing. Ooh, um, well, this could open up a huge massive can of worms but i think the transition of i love that gasp yeah i was like i'm into it tell me more (laughs) um i have been seeing and i'd be really curious what you're seeing from your end this kind of gradual uh but disturbing transition from fandom as a tight-knit small community into more of a consumer model and i'm saying that knowing that you know i am making money off of this and am part of the problem Mm -hmm. um especially with the advent of ai so whenever I see AI art in fandom, it just hurts my soul on mm-hmm. such a deep and painful level because fandom has traditionally been about spending time, energy, and love on something that you adore to create a sense of community. And I really feel like AI comes in and undermines that. Mm-hmm. Right. And it means that we're looking at art more as like consumable content than as art. And so I'd be curious what you're seeing, if you have any feelings on that, mm-hmm. et cetera. Alan, I want to hear your thoughts on that because I have so many, but I'm always interested to hear your thoughts first. Um, That's very kind. Um, I think I'm on the same boat as you, Ada. I think that once we start to move away from art as an expression or as an exploration of what it means to be human, it gets a little gray for me. And I, I don't mind AI as a tool to help enhance the telling of the story, but it shouldn't take the place of it. Mm-hmm. I think I fall in a very deep skepticism of AI and whether or not you can even really ethically use AI as a tool based on its Mm. creation. I think its origin is sort of like inherently tainted in some ways by the fact that it's like, Mm -hmm. it's, it's stealing. Like 
I, I don't think you can ignore the fact that like AI exists because programmers were like, we're going to scrape all of this stuff that was human made and turn it into a computer program with all of our inherent biases built into it, whether or not we're going to admit that. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, use that as a tool in some way to like, I don't know. And maybe I'm just sort of like old school about it and like old woman shakes fists at sky. Um, but it just, it, it really scares me in a, in a deep, oh, yeah. deep and profound way. And I think the shift overall of fandom to a more consumer, like, I really, I, I've sort of bristled at the word consumer when it comes to, or like even content when it comes to fandom, because mm -hmm. it feels very transactional in a way that like, I think is antithetical to how fandom in its ideal should be where right. again, you know, like what you're talking about with community, I think there is a culture of giving and a culture of sort of like sharing and reveling in this thing that gets very tainted when you're talking about the transaction of content creation i'm doing this for an algorithm or i'm doing this to like gain followers versus i'm doing this because i love it do i necessarily see that going away no so i think my question then becomes how do we how do we find some kind of nuance and middle ground there where people can still pay their bills they can like find ways to do this thing but do it in such a way that doesn't lose the core of what it is to some like soulless corporate entity um and I also think that that really that that mindset absolutely comes from having been deeply burned by fandom being used as a weapon. <laughs> I've talked about this all the time, but I was in the magicians fandom when it all went wrong. Yeah. And and the showrunners really did use fandom as a cudgel. Like it was they knew what they were doing, in my opinion, allegedly, whatever. You know, they knew that they had a deeply queer neurodivergent fan base and they allowed fandom to really bring that show acclaim and power. They used an out queer actor within the fandom to build trust. And then they came down and like really, really just did horrible shit. And I think fandom runs the risk of being corporatized in that way if we're not careful. Um, and it becomes something totally separate from what it should be, which is, you know. But out of that experience, I also made a lot of really, like, lifelong friends and was very much taken care of by that <laughs> Down fandom. in the trenches. Yeah, like, the people mm -hmm. who were there, like, the my, hi, my, um, like, the people, <laughs> like, who, like, who sat through that season four finale and, like, were on in fandom at the time, like, that's a bond that can't be broken. <laughs> so it's weird. It's sort of this convoluted, it's good, it's bad, it's nuanced, but... My, to, to, to summarize ai bad corporations also bad fandom generally good <laughs> <laughs> yep yeah that's about it i think Great. yeah close as close to a summary as i think we can get <laughs> yeah pretty much what a wonderful um, question though one piece of advice that i wish i had listened to earlier and still give myself for any artists who are interested in you know making fan art or wanting to grow or wanting to bridge the gap between fan art as a hobby and fan art more professionally make things you actually enjoy mm -hmm. make things for a community it's one of the reasons that whenever a gift exchange rolls across my dash i'll sign up for it because it gives me just immeasurable joy to make something specifically for a person mm. um, or making fan art for a fic that i loved reading because if i made the stuff that i knew would do well on the algorithm i would just be miserable yeah like I have a smaller following and I, you know, don't have the virality of some other artists, but I have really dedicated fans who have been with me from the very beginning mm -hmm. and who've seen my work grow um, because they're there for the stuff that I do and they find the same things interesting that I do. That's the audience that you want. That is great advice that I, you could not possibly have known that. I needed to hear that. I absolutely needed to hear that about this podcast. Aww. Yeah. And like, it's a question that we've been having off and on for years. Like, do we sign up for the TikTok creativity stuff? Like, do we try to make more TikToks to like push the, and I think one of the things that actually New York Comic Con really showed me specifically, we did a, um, a, panel. a panel. Thank you. I almost said a co-pro, <laughs> um, a co-production co <laughs> with, one of our friends who is far, far more known on TikTok in the fandom world. And at first I was a little jealous that they were getting like recognized on the street. And I was like, I did a lot of work to make this panel happen. <laughs> I should get recognized on the street too. And then I thought about it and I was like, I can't handle that. 
Yeah, and then you remembered. I wait. I don't like that. I don't like that. There's a reason that we don't operate that way. And so that piece of advice, I'm gonna sit with that piece of advice for a while because it is it's so good. it's so good and it's so validating to hear it said by somebody else who's doing this type of thing. That it's like mm. okay not to chase views and yeah. that kind of stuff and to focus on what matters. And in fact, you might hate it. Yeah, so true. true. <laughs> <laughs> like you might get what you want and be like, oh, this this is oh, actually this terrible. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I had a small taste of virality with a fan fiction that I illustrated. I'm not actually the author oh. on it. Mm. And it's terrifying. I don't like it. Oh. Yeah. I feel like that's what would happen to me. I would get a taste of it and be like, never mind. I don't want to do this anymore. Actually, <laughs> that kind of did happen to me in college. Remember? Oh. Yeah. Oh, so I don't know if you knew oh, this. Oh, yes. But I basically pissed off Eve Ensler and the whole right oh no yeah it was wild uh long story short i <laughs> i was called all kinds of names by the conservative right and Ensler was like fuck this girl in particular um <laughs> because we decided that we weren't going to do the vagina monologues anymore because it was like very reductive and like yeah. it, it, it there's a whole slew of problems with that play but um yeah i had my little 15 minutes of fame and i hated every second of it <laughs> So yep. that's a great claim to fame though. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty proud of it. I was like, yeah. I was no, everyone was like, this girl like wants to talk about trans people. And I was like, I do. You're just being dickheads about Correct. it. And mm -hmm. misunder, mis game completely misrepresenting what we're trying to say here. But you know, classic. Yeah. Eat shit. <laughs> it was wild. As far as like bar trivia about you goes, that was pretty good. Yeah. That was, True. it was my, it was my Tinder profile for a long time. I was like pissed <laughs> off Rush Limbaugh and Bill Mayer in the same breath. Excellent. Incredible. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> moral of the story, don't chase fame because it bites you in the ass. <laughs> Make things that you like because that's the audience that'll stick with you. Mm. Absolutely. This has been so wonderful delightful such a delight. yeah you guys are great yeah you're really cool and i'm really so glad are. that i oh know you <laughs> so if you ever want to come back on the podcast we are currently not talking about specific fanfics because we're trying to help and follow with sag but if you ever want to come back and talk about a particular fanfic like open invitation <laughs> please yeah, come back oh, oh i absolutely will i'm forty thousand words into writing my first multi-chapter and i'm like oh. oh my god this is so much harder than i thought it would be yeah. Love, love that. that. Okay, we'll have to we'll we'll coordinate. Yeah, <laughs> we'll do more. Yeah. I decided to write a polyamory fic and forgot that that like logarithmically grows the number of relationships <laughs> you have to write. And I was like, well, here we are, forty thousand words in, and they've had a sexually charged pinky swear. <laughs> I, I want to know. Hold on, I would love a sexually charged the pinky slowest swear. The slowest of burns. The slowest. Oh, slow. Burns. Burns. It's so good. I think that's a perfect little teaser to end on. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, Ada, drop your links again just so people know where to follow you. How do, how do people get in touch with you or commission you or any of that stuff? Yeah, so um, A period love unlaced on anything that uses periods dash on Tumblr. So A dash love unlaced on Tumblr. Come find me. Come hang out. I'm mostly active on Instagram and currently Facebook because I'm a thousand years old. <laughs> I love that for you. Our Facebook is so dead. <laughs> what Facebook? Yeah, we don't really have a Facebook. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's like a really beautiful queer like pocket of women in their 30s on Facebook. It's like, oh, I love you guys. Oh, we're gonna have to I talk about it. more of that uh, offline. <laughs> I need to meet some of these. People. Aaron's gonna need some links. Yeah, I'm gonna need some. Oh, yeah. I'm gonna need to know which groups I need to be a part of. <laughs> <laughs> Similarly, we are the Ficklist. Uh, you can find us at theficklist.com and all of the other places that are linked on theficklist.com. Because now that I have that one landing page, I don't feel like knowing what our name is on anything else. <laughs> I think that's fair. Yeah, we are most often to be found on TikTok. Uh, a little bit on Twitter still. We're still holding out on twitter nah. we'll mm. see how that goes yeah. uh and tumblr run by the inimitable caitlin the inimitable caitlin yeah honestly our most wonderful social media tumblr i think absolutely speaking of unhinged that'll do it <laughs> True. i love tumblr awesome well thank cool. you for having me on this has been so much fun thank, thank you, you for, for joining, joining us and we'll talk to y'all next time bye bye, bye. This is so great. Play okay. the music. Do, 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 do. <laughs> we'll do it in post. Yeah. <laughs>